Evidence and Answers. Have you been a victim of spiritual abuse? Are you no longer willing to trust any church or get involved in a body of believers because of past hurtful experiences from authoritarian leader or church? Welcome to this edition of Evidence and Answers with your host, Dr. Pat Zucharin. Pat is an author, scholar, and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, psychologist Dr. Brian Misaka, will be discussing the process one must go through to heal deep wounds from a past abusive church situation. We hope this message will provide hope and healing. And if you've experienced spiritual abuse or very negative ministry experience, this message and Pat's article on abusive churches are available on Pat's website, evidenceandanswers.org. Now, let's join Pat and Dr. Misaka as they discuss the recovery process for victims of spiritual abuse. Well, we're talking about spiritual abuse once again, or abusive churches, and to quickly review, there are seven characteristics that characterize an abusive church or abusive kind of ministry. First, there's authoritarian leadership. Second, there's the manipulation of members. Third, there is rigid legalism. Fourth, spiritual elitism. Fifth, a persecution complex and a very painful, difficult exit process and usually the target age in these organizations are young people 18 through 25 usually but not always the case so we went over characteristics of an abusive church so if you didn't hear that show you can log on at evidenceandanswers.org and listen to that show and also read my article on abusive churches and their characteristics well now we're talking about the recovery process as I mentioned last week those who leave abusive churches or spiritually abusive ministries have a very difficult and painful exit process and it's a very emotionally spiritually mentally damaging process that you go through when you're in this organization and those who come out suffer tremendously so my special guest here today to help us talk about how to recover from a spiritually abusive situation is Dr. Brian Misaka. Dr. Brian Misaka is a graduate of Roadmead School of Theology, the Psychology School of Biola University, where he earned his doctorate there. He's been practicing licensed Christian psychological counselor here. And so, Brian, great to have you here with us. Thank you, Pat. Good to be back. Well, Brian, there's a tremendous hurt when people experience spiritual abuse. And even after they've left that church or ministry, there's tremendous hurt there. What are some of the hurts that people experience? People have all kinds of reactions, but one common one would be a sense of disillusionment. And they'd gone in with hopes and, you know, this strong, almost Christ-like leader. And then to be disillusioned and say, wow, this is this guy is really not what I expected. And, you know, he was manipulative and hurtful and and so that's another emotion feeling hurt and feeling angry about that feeling betrayed even a sense of rejection disappointment sadness grief so all kinds of different negative reactions to a situation like this yeah i also noticed there's a sense of i'm all alone you know because in these kinds of organizations often communication with the outside world, people outside the organization, even with friends and family, is kind of cut off. Yes. And your entire family or network of friends is that organization. And suddenly when you leave, you 
you find yourself kind of all alone. Mm -hmm. Yes, a sense of isolation and and loneliness and a, a, a void there. Yeah. You know, Brian, after leaving an abusive church, people often never return to church or feel they can never trust another ministry or a ministry leader again. What needs to happen for people to begin the healing process? And I think a critical thing that needs to happen is that they need to differentiate between man and the things of man and the things of God. Men are human, men are sinful, men have weaknesses. Even the most godly of men, King David, committed adultery, tried to cover it up, and committed murder. And so the man, after God's own heart, hurt a lot of people in the process. I'm not saying that he was spiritually abusive, but it's just an example of trusting in man. And the person who's been really wounded by a man or a group of men or people, church like this, needs to say that, well, that's a sinful, sinful man or sinful group of people and fallen. And people do hurtful things and are controlling and manipulative when they're really insecure themselves or have some kind of psychological disorder. And so to separate that from a holy, loving, pure God who has never hurt them, God has never hurt them. Maybe he's disciplined them and there's some pain from that, but he's never harmed them. He's never caused them pain. So the church and God has to be separated and they have to see that Yes, I was wounded by this man, this group of this group of people, but that really wasn't God. And and there are godly people with good churches out there that can be humble and can be accountable and they could have a really positive loving experience in a different setting. Yeah, Brian, you make a real important point that a lot of people feel, well, God let me down. This was God's doing. God made me go through this. Mm -hmm. And you really got to make that distinction between, you know, the Lord and something that man did, not only in these situations, but in a lot of situations in life. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Then, you know, they really need to pay attention to what they feel and that there's a lot of feelings, a grieving process and forgiving process that they have to go through with these people that have sinned against them. And to say, you know, if I need to talk to a pastor about that, if I need to talk to a counselor, if I need to talk to friends. But as you mentioned earlier, if they isolate, then that's not a good thing. That's just going to further keep the wound from healing. And so isolation is the worst thing they can do. But it's understandable at first for them to want to pull back and protect themselves and, and safeguard. But after a time of moving away, they have to go into a situation where there's relationships, loving relationships that they can heal. Because healing happens in the context of relationships. Oh, that's a real important point that you bring out. You know, one of the most damaging effects of an abusive church is that the victim has developed a faulty view of God here. And what is the understanding of God that most typically needs to be changed? Well, in that kind of situation, the leader misuses his authority and says stuff like, you know, I'm speaking directly from God, and if you defy me, then you're defying God. If you don't listen to the prescriptions of our church, then you're defying God. And so... 
you know, they could get a picture that God is this really controlling person up there who is authoritarian and who wants to manipulate people and have a terror of him that's unhealthy. And so if there's a view of God as a really harsh father or drill sergeant, then that kind of view of God has to be um, adjusted to realize that, hey, God was willing to take on flesh and humble himself and come in the form of Jesus and be born in rotten, filthy situation with the manger, placing the manger and growing up in a real primitive society. And so that's the kind of God we have is a, a loving God. And so the restoration of a father who can be firm, but is not controlling and is very loving and graceful. Right. You know, that's often what I find with victims of spiritual abuse equate that leader to their image or understanding of God. And that's yeah. one of the things that we need to change. And it, it can be a long and arduous kind of process. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, when you study the life of Christ, as you mentioned here, and how he was a servant leader, how he died on the cross, how he didn't manipulate people or force them to obey him. If they chose not to, you know, he gave them the freedom. Mm-hmm. Not it broke his heart, but he gave them the freedom. He didn't try to manipulate them or coerce them into following him or his standards. Well, you know, Brian, after leaving an abusive church, you said that healing comes in the context of relationships, Mm -hmm. but victims often find themselves isolated and alone. They've cut themselves off from the rest of the community. And often there's a strong sense of distrust there. They don't know if they can trust anyone Mm -hmm. again. Do you recommend that they plug into a church right away or, or give it some time here? You know, if they are able to, by all means, I would plug in as, as soon as they can to avoid that sense of isolation. One thought there is to go to some kind of a big church, you know, like uh, a New Hope over here in Hawaii, 10,000 people. So they can go in with some sense of anonymity and they don't even have to introduce themselves to the pastor or the pastoral staff. And therefore, there's a, a, a margin, there's a safety net there where they don't have to feel like this person knows me, they know my phone number, they know where I live, and they can c- try and control me, and they're going to send me emails, and they're going to tell me that God hates me if I don't do this. But if they can go and worship on Sunday and and slowly get to know people, I think that would be a really nice first step in a kind of a larger church setting. Then, of course, they want to go smaller, like Jesus had the 12 disciples. So uh, Ohana group, Bible study, a small group, mini church kind of situation where they can go and, and begin to get to know people. But that's where they may get a little scared and they may fear that, oh, if I go to a smaller group, then I could get manipulated again. I could get taken in into this kind of a cult-like situation. So the bigger churches first and then the courage to go into a smaller church maybe to connect with relatives or friends from other churches that they know so they can go with somebody and they can feel like oh at least I know I know Pat and I know Steve or my cousin you know went to my cousin's church and then so they feel a safety there because they're going with somebody and oftentimes you go to someplace new and you go with somebody, it's a lot easier than to go all by yourself, you know, starting any kind of new situation. So if at all possible, if they can go with somebody or with somebody who has left 
the old church, the abusive church, if they can go together to find a new situation, that would be good. Yeah, so one of the things you're recommending is not to isolate yourself. Mm -hmm. That would be one of the worst things, but try to build relationships once again. Mm -hmm. But that may be really going against what they feel. I mean, they, they fear building relationships again or walking into a church. But what you're recommending here is that they continue to worship and go to church and, yeah. and try to rebuild their lives through relationships again. And isolation is one of the worst things they can do. Yes. And, you know, if they really are, that's too traumatic for them to even step in a big church, then um, maybe it's more of a situation that they have to seek out some kind of professional help. And then that's one of the safest situations because it's just one-on-one. -on -one. It's all confidential. They can leave at any time. They can go for one session if they want. They can go for years if they want. So that is a situation where they could honestly share what the experience was like for them. And I have a couple of people right now who've been through abusive churches and that's exactly what I'm doing with them right now, helping them to understand and validating for them that, no, no one should say this is directly from God. And if you don't obey that, you know, God will be angry with you unless you're a prophet of God. And prophets had to be 100 percent correct mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. And I don't know any prophets who bat 1000. So, you know, you need a safe place where you can share your experience and yes. just uh unload and reflect on the situation and get a, a neutral or a proper perspective back to, you know, reality of, mm -hmm. of the things that mm -hmm. you went through. That's so invaluable to, to have someone you can share and someone who can understand and empathize with you. That's a big part of the mm -hmm. healing process, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. You know, to feel safe again, to feel like you can build some trust. One person said that an equation for healing is grace plus truth over time. You need both grace and truth over the course of time to go through a healing process. And in this case with these people, again, to go through a forgiveness process and to go through a grieving process. All of us have been forgiven and God wants us to forgive everyone. So the key is not to get so angry and let it sit and let it become bitterness and resentment and sit in that disillusionment but to say no 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 yes I feel these feelings but I need to go forward with these feelings and progress in my true relationship with God the real God well you state that victim needs to forgive the church or ministry but that's we all know one of the most difficult things to yes. do well how does someone manage to go through that forgiveness process and how do they know they've done so? I think forgiveness is a, a really divine process. And quoted earlier that we're to forgive as we have been forgiven, Jesus tells us. And so I think the first thing we need to do is submit ourselves before God and make sure we're forgiven before God. And then to say, wow, you know, I've been forgiven of all my sins. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm going to choose to forgive this leader, these people, and I'm going to choose to obey God with that 
regardless of how I feel. I choose to forgive God. I choose to forgive these people for doing this, 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 and this, and this, and being controlling and hurtful and all of these things. And then following the choice is the process. And the forgiveness process is intimately connected to the grieving process. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a researcher many years ago, and she outlined the sequence of grieving. And the acronym DABDA, D-A-B-D-A, like if you dab the finger in the tears, you know, that gives you a visual image. The D, first D stands for denial. The A stands for anger. The B stands for bargaining. The second D stands for depression, and the A stands for acceptance. And what she did was she took about a sample of about 200 terminally ill patients. And from diagnosis, Mr. Smith, you're going to die. You have cancer, it's spread throughout your body, and you have six months to live. Okay, so she watched these people, and their initial reaction was denial and isolation. It's like way too much to take. Hey, I'm 46 years old and I'm going to have a baby pretty soon. And you're telling me I'm going to die. I want a second opinion. I want a third opinion. I want a tenth opinion. So there's a denial. And then when they, they get the, the second opinion, yes, Mr. Smith, you're going to die. Then, man, why, why am I? Why am I? You know, why, why is God taking me out of this situation? You know, I mean, why won't he let me see my third son? And, you know, why won't he let me work so hard to raise my kids? And then the B is the bargaining, you know, hey, God, if, if you let me live like Hezekiah, then I'm going to be a missionary in Africa if you want me to. The second D is depression when they finally realize I'm going to die and there's no way out and God is not going to save me from this and it's coming. And then not all the patients reach the stage of acceptance, but those who did came to a place of realizing that, hey, this is God's will for me, then this is okay. And I would imagine, I didn't, I don't know, but I would imagine that the Christians in the study had a lot easier time coming to the stage of acceptance. And so for the listeners out there, D-A-B-D-A, and if you go back and forth in the sequence between anger and depression or sadness, that's really common. And what I often do for grieving in general is I'll replace the B, the bargaining with hurt. So there's hurt, there's the anger, there's the sadness. Hurt, anger, sadness, hurt, anger, sadness, and moving into denial at times. But bouncing back and forth between the emotions, especially in the context of talking to somebody about it and say, man, you know, that was really messed up that they told me to do this and they told me to do that and to do this. And yeah, you know, I, I lost some friends and some family members think I'm crazy now. And, you know, they won't talk to me anymore because they think I'm a fanatic. And, and so there's an anger, there's a hurt, and that's really sad. I lost this and I lost this. And then eventually come into a place of acceptance. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through about 13, it talks about the sequence of healing with godly sorrow. So with our own sin, God wants us to feel this sorrow that's of the godly type, not worldly sorrow in contrast, but to have godly sorrow and to have an eagerness to clear yourself. And it says godly sorrow leads to repentance, so a change of mind, and then to change your behavior that would follow from the change of mind. 
And then it says, godly sorrow leads to repentance and leaves no regrets. And so you go from confessing your sin to grieving that process, repenting from it, and then coming to a place of accepting that you have been forgiven of those sins and you don't have to feel regrets for that. That's the kind of God we have. He doesn't want us to feel regret all throughout our lives. Yeah. So that's kind of the healing process and forgiveness process. Wow, that's a powerful message you gave right there. You know, what do you say to the person who's kind of stuck in that depression, anger kind of stage? And he's just kind of stuck there. I know so many people, Mm -hmm. so many of us who've gone through hurtful situations find ourselves stuck in Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Further elaborate on how how does someone move on to that acceptance stage? With the anger, there's usually a desire for some kind of a justice, some kind of fairness, some kind of justice. This was wrong, and I've been wronged, and this was wrong. And so to feel some validation for that. Like today's show hopefully is very validating for you if you're listening and you've been hurt by this and and you've been angry about it. We're saying that that's normal and then that's natural to feel angry because you have been sinned against. And when we're sinned against, even God himself gets angry. And when Israel would continue to sin and sin and sin, he would get really angry and, you know, he would want to wipe them out sometimes. That's how angry he would get. So it's a part of the image of God in us wanting justice and truth and righteousness. So to feel that you're justified in feeling those feelings and to say, You know, if I get stuck in these feelings, that's where I want to be careful. I don't want to get stuck in it. And sometimes people get stuck in the anger because it's so protective. It's them protecting themselves from getting hurt again and saying, I'm never going to let that happen. I'm going to make a vow and nobody's ever going to do that to me again. And nobody's ever going to deceive me like that. And nobody's ever going to control me like that. And so... There's different ways of protecting ourselves. We don't have to use anger to protect ourselves. We can use other people's eyes, other people's wisdom to help us, to help keep us accountable and on the right track. And that's not an angry way, that's a wise way of protecting ourselves. Say we were all single and I'm dating this girl and I said, hey Pat, what do you think about Mary over here? And you go, man, Brian, you know, Mary has been with 15 different guys since I've known her in this past year. And she's been dating, breaking up, dating, breaking up, dating, breaking up. And so I don't think it's really wise or you got to be really, really careful or go through some counseling with Mary if you really are serious about Mary. So I'm using you as a friend, as a safety net for your perspective on this life decision I'm trying to make. And then I don't have to be angry about it, but I can be wise about it instead of being angry and using anger to protect me. With the hurt, you got to be nurtured through that. You have to have the empathy through it, someone who can empathize and say, again, normalize it and say, wow, that's, that's really normal that you feel hurt by this situation, by this leader, by being controlled, by them trying to change your identity, by them trying to do these things. Yeah, it, it's natural to feel hurt by that. And the Bible says to grieve. 
grieve with those who grieve. And so we come alongside each other and we validate the hurt and we allow the tears on the shoulders and we pray for that person, we hug them and, and we minister to them. And then it's saying, hey, you know, over time, we forgive and we move through the grieving process and we accept what has happened. We never have to like what was happened, what has happened, but we accept what has happened and we, we live in forgiveness and peace. Right. And so you gave some great advice here. And if you missed any part of the show, you can go to evidenceandanswers.org and listen to the show in its entirety. Dr. Brian Misaka here gave some invaluable advice here that will be valuable for anyone who has been a victim of spiritual abuse or going through the healing process. But basically, Brian, you're saying don't isolate yourself. Get your understanding of God back in order. Yes. Don't isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. Continue to worship and seek to build relationships and, and go through that process. And what do you have to say to someone out there who's listening right now who may have been a victim of spiritual abuse and is really uh, emotionally, spiritually, mentally hurt right now? What What's your final words that you could say to them? Final words would be, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that that happened to you. And you may never hear those words from those leaders, but you know, I just want you to hear those words. I'm really sorry, and your hurt and your anger and even your desire to isolate, they're understandable. And God really does see you. He understands everything you've been through, and He wants, to, he wants you back. He wants you back. You know, it doesn't mean he wants you back in church tomorrow, but he wants you. He wants your heart. You can you can talk to him right now, and you can get to know the real God. And as Pat has reiterated, don't isolate yourself. That's that's not going to make you better. But get in some group, and if you cannot muster the courage to do that, then get some professional help if you need to. But hey, we care about you, and we we want you to get better. Invaluable advice here from Dr. Brian Misaka. Brian, thanks for being on the show. And for other interviews with Dr. Brian Misaka and other of our great guests, you can go to evidenceandanswers.org. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll see you here again next week. Well, this concludes the series on spiritual abuse. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the message. Also, read Pat's articles on abusive churches. While you're there, check out Pat's new book, Unless I See, Is There Enough Evidence to Believe? In this book, Pat presents the compelling evidence for the Christian faith. This is a great book for every Christian who wants to be an effective witness for Christ in our culture today. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. We thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next week for more of Evidence and Answers. Break it.